Hello and welcome to Ye Can Do, a podcast about possibility. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and today's episode, I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Steve Neal, a coach whose work has perhaps had the greatest impact on my life so far. Steve has an extraordinary range of training, tools and techniques that he has learned, studied, practiced and taught with over 40,000 leaders around the world. He's a psychologist, an executive coach, a hypnotherapist, an NLP practitioner, as well as being an international author and speaker. Steve has created his own framework for excellence, which he calls the Limbic Performance System. And in today's discussion, you'll hear all about the tools and techniques he taught me that had such a profound impact on my life, and you'll be able to access those at the end of the show. Steve will also share how you can connect with him if there's particular areas of your life that you want to understand and address in different ways. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. So Steve, we have introduced you as the creator of the Limbic Performance System. And I know you're going to definitely have to explain that now for listeners because I had to look it up myself, even the definition of Limbic. But I know you really pride yourself on taking the newest and most useful kind of science of human behavior and really making that accessible and creating tools out of it. And that's something I have loved about how you've worked with me. So as a starting question, Steve, would you maybe share with listeners, what is your favorite, I suppose, approach or tool for anyone who's looking to live their best lives? Uh, thank you, Paula. So there are so many. And I, if I could think of one overarching, is it a tool or is it just a, an, a moment of powerful awareness? That's maybe a better description of it. If you think about it, every human experience that you have had or anyone listening to this has had, has three elements that have to be connected to that experience. They will have thoughts in relation to that experience. They will have emotions in relation to that experience. And then they will have their actions, the way they respond or interact with that experience. And the tool or the awareness that I'd like to share is if you believe you are your thoughts, feelings, and actions, then you you adopt a more of a victim role in life because if you are your thoughts, feelings, and actions, then it's it's kind of a given that you will continue to think, feel, and behave in the same way because you it, it is you. It's you'll hear somebody say something like. Well, I'm always a late starter. I've never been good at presenting. I always find it difficult to deal with conflict. And those statements themselves are, you know, affirmations that that will continue. Yeah. The, the, the trick here is the moment you realize as a human being, you are not your thoughts or your feelings or your actions and you step outside of that triangle to a place of mindfulness, childlike curiosity, and you start to kind of playfully in a non-judgmental way, notice 
the way you think in certain situations, the emotional states you have, and what you actually do. When you become really good at this, you can do it in the moment, but initially it's probably a, a retrospective activity where you think back to that awkward meeting you had. You think back to that argument you had with your spouse. You think back to that incident with your child this morning and how you reacted. And you start to notice, these are the thoughts I have in relation to that. This is what's going on at an emotional level in my body. And that's what I did. I delivered it in this way with this level of anger or frustration or gestures. That's curious, isn't it? Would I like to change that? Maybe. And at that moment, you are in your personal power and you are, in my view, at a higher level of consciousness because you are aware of yourself. And once you become aware of yourself, you have the choice that you can change that if you want to. How would you like to think differently? How are you framing this in your mind? What emotional states are coming up and how would you like them to be? Instead of feeling stressed or anxious, would you like to feel calm or you know, relaxed? And what are you actually doing? What is manifesting in terms of your behavior? And how would you like to change that? So that is what I call the triangle of consciousness, the triangle of success, that thinking, feeling, doing triangle, which we all have the ability to step outside, to notice, and then choose if we would like to change it. Wonderful. That's, that's a powerful thing. It totally is, Steve, and, and very moving. And I will say for listeners that um, I would describe you as, as the coach whose work has had by far the biggest impact on my life. Um, and we'll definitely get into that story. And it was the simplicity, I guess, in terms of how you teach those very human, very normal experiences. And I love that you make it non-judgmental, because I think what I've been guilty of perhaps in the past, Steve, is understanding or realizing perhaps that I'm behaving in a way that's not serving my highest self um, and then beating myself up for that. <laughs> so, so then I become, you know, uh, then I just stay in a spiral. So I think the question that's kind of coming to mind, Steve, is if there is somebody, let's say I meet somebody who does have this experience of, um, you know, identifying with being, you know, as you said, not in a great place in their life in any area. I, I think the questioning technique you were referring to there, is that something that I could do, for example, to say to somebody, is that how you want to continue living, for example? Because I don't want to say to somebody, you're not helping yourself or that's not the right way to think or, you know, I don't want to be too, too judgmental, but I find it frustrating and quite painful to see people suffer. And I think that's what you help people move beyond. Yes, I think. What you said there, Paula, is so true. You know, a lot of the work I uh, help people with is their sense of self-worth, their sense of self-esteem. For me, it's the same thing. And the mistake that most people make is when they start to raise awareness and have realizations about themselves, 
they criticize themselves. Yeah. So what you're essentially doing there is taking an already bruised self-worth <laughs> and you're, you're giving it a good old punch. And let's, <laughs> let's really make sure that that bruise is nice and clear and painful. Uh, so the starting point for anyone who's on a development journey, and by the way, we all are as humans because none of us got our stuff sorted. None of us haven't got trauma yeah. or challenges or shadow sides whatever people portray in the Facebook world, it's a lie. It's yeah. not the full picture. Sure. Um, so the starting point has to be, I am okay as I am today. I am the summation of the experiences I've had so far in life. Yeah. And I had a bunch of good stuff, which taught me stuff that I want to maintain. Mm. And I also had, traumatic stuff or things that told me I wasn't worthy, that it may have come from a, you know, particularly critical teacher. It may have come from parenting styles. It may have come from, you know, a spouse. It may have come from uh, siblings, but we've all had that at some level. Mm. And if we are going to move on, we have to embrace that as well as a Mm. part of us. We accept the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's like, you know, a beautiful question is, okay, so you feel anxious because you've been asked to give a talk to your local community group because they think you've got some valuable experience. Mm. And immediately that triggers anxiety within you and you're you know the thinking feeling doing triangle the anxiety is the feeling the thought comes mm. I can't do it I'm not good enough I'm an imposter what have I got to teach people they know more than me yeah. which builds the anxiety beautifully in that kind of you know loop mm. yeah. and then you start to hesitate about doing it or you make excuses or you try to avoid it that's the behavior part once you realize that's happening the starting point should be how can I be grateful for that? Thank you so much, anxiety, for showing up. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as you do that and you don't try to force it away, you don't try to chastise yourself as that shouldn't be there. Why do I always get so anxious when people ask me to do something like that? Yeah. You go, that's interesting, my friend. I'm very grateful that you're showing up as a real emotion. I'm human. What are you here to teach me? What can I learn from you? I'm grateful for the excited emotions. I'm grateful for the fun that I feel. I'm grateful for the fulfilling emotions. I'm also grateful for my sadness and my anger and my fears. They're all beautiful parts of being human and they're real. Yeah. And, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that often the the Hollywood world or the often the personal development world has often made is this nonsense pursuit of happiness and living the dream. Mm. It's just not real. Yeah. We can, of course, aspire to develop ourselves and grow. We can, of course, set ourselves goals and targets. And as long as they're grounded in a sense of purpose and our values, it yeah. can be very meaningful to work towards them. Yeah. But happiness is just a fleeting emotion, which we can be grateful for as equally as we can learn something from our sadness. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean we have to be the sadness and it doesn't mean we have to sit with it day after day and dwell with it. It means we have to be grateful for it, listen to it, learn from it, 
And then, like I said at the start, make a choice. Mm. Would I like to change this? Would I like to experience something else and move on? And it's a basic human innate need to grow and learn. It's within all of us if we give ourselves the chance. Yeah, I love that because um, it's it's definitely counterintuitive to feel gratitude at times when things happen that we wouldn't have chosen. Um, And I think you've articulated beautifully, Steve, certainly in all of your YouTube videos, which we'll obviously be linking to in the show notes, you know, this whole experience that all of the human experience actually is to be welcomed, is to be grateful for. And I was thinking of it recently myself, actually, we were just going to get actually just, you know, um, you know, injections uh, in the doctor. And, you know, I was kind of going, oh, hate this, you know. And instead I was like, why don't I just be grateful for this moment? And, you know, to be grateful for the opportunity to have, you know, but I hadn't thought about it in the context of something very challenging. And when you and I met, as you know, it was um, the summer of 2019. Um, we were both lucky enough and very grateful to be in uh, Croatia together on a whole personal development program. And it was definitely very um, interesting to me, Steve, to notice that the workshop you scheduled, you know, it had this title about self-esteem and self-worth. And I don't think I'm somebody that most people think ever suffered with that, but I definitely did suffer in one area of life. So my self-esteem in terms of my work was great and my income was fine and my house and my car and all the usual stuff. But I was suffering on the personal front in terms of finding a relationship. So is do you think there really is like a huge problem? Like to me, the more I pay attention to the work that you do and how profoundly it changed my life, the more I think that there is possibly an epidemic of this idea of self-worth and not being good enough in one or more areas of our lives. So the, the, the challenge for me, and I, I agree with you, self-worth is probably the area that I've spent most of my time, you know, talking to people about and sharing ideas on, because there's this misconception, I think, that in order to feel good about ourselves, we have to show stuff. We have to have the right partner, the right car, the right job, the right clothes, the right look, the right friends, the right... No. In order to truly feel fulfilled, we have to love and accept ourselves for who we are. And we take away all the trimmings. We take away all the, you know, indicators out there that can show the world or convince us that we are enough. We are okay. Ultimately, find me one baby on this planet that was born with a self-esteem issue. Not one. (laughs) No. They're like, hey, I'm kind of cool because I just am. And, <laughs> the, the, and then somewhere during education systems and parenting, we are criticized. We're told, well, you're too thin. You're, you're too fat. You're, you're, your skin complexion is not this. You're not, you don't fit into this box. You didn't get an A grade. You're not, you should be a lawyer and you're not going to make the grade. You're, and we're, we're beautifully persuaded that we're not enough through that Somebody else is setting the, the, the boxes that we're supposed to fit into, and we don't nine times out of 10. Or if we do, we kind of force ourselves to, and it's kind of a pseudo fake uh, thing. It's not real. So ultimately, we need to go back to how we were born. We were born as love. We were born as love for ourselves. 
And show me how many babies are judgmental of other people as well. They don't care what's going on with the other babies or the, they don't judge. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. taught these things through society and upbringing. And we are too. Mm-hmm. So we start to be convinced by this and our belief systems, which are the core of our world start to say, you're not good enough because you don't have enough money. You don't drive that car. You don't have the right part. There's something wrong with me. I'm 40 years old and I haven't had a child. Uh, you're supposed to have a child with what's wrong with me. And, and all of this kind of comparison it's nonsense. So very much what I share with people is getting people back to how they were when they entered this planet, um, back to the core of a sense of self-love, acceptance, enormous creativity and abundance as well. I was reading a study recently that was testing creative genius, and it showed that 98% of four to five-year-olds have creative genius. They are so innovative and can see so many different perspectives. Exactly the same test with 25 years and older adults, only 2% get creative genius status. So we lose, in just like the sense of self-love, we lose so much of what we're born with. And, you know, people look to try to substitute that with things. So I call that in outside in living. If I've got this, if I've got that, if I live here, if I have that, if I have that status, then I must be okay. How about if we turn that completely upside down and say, I am okay at the core and I would like, you know, I've got these things around me, but essentially I know I'm okay. I am love. I give love. I've got my basic needs met. And so very simple way of explaining this. Don't do to be, be to do. Doing to be is I I have this. I do this. I'm an architect. I've got this. I've got this. Therefore I'm okay. As opposed to I'm okay. That's where I start. I'm, I'm more than enough. And I choose to do this and I choose to have this and I choose to, uh, these are the kind of trimmings, but the, the core of me is I, I, I am this. Does, does that make sense? It totally makes sense, Steve. And what I really felt and what I have always felt when I listen to your work, Steve, is um, it's not about fixing people. It's not about labeling them as broken And I think that's a lovely idea that, you know, we are all perfect at our core. We were as a baby and maybe we learned things or we got frightened or something went wrong along the way. And that created a limiting belief. But actually to get back to the self-love and I am okay, it's actually very reassuring and makes it much more accessible, I think, than, you know, all of the, you know, channels and tools that are out there that, you know, sometimes I find like, I think I was actually reading self-help books for 10 years, Steve, before I changed anything, before I took any action. And again, what I love about the work that you did with us was it was around using self-hypnosis, which I've never used before, but it was extremely simple. It was like a 30 minute daily practice. And it was just like a self-esteem booster. And that helped me get beyond being ashamed of something that wasn't working for me and get into taking action and just showing up every day, doing my 30 minutes of listening to your voice. And actually, I mean, the results, my life changed. Like I met my husband within three months. Like it's still quite extraordinary to me. (laughs) 
Fantastic. It's good to hear. But again, the you know, hypnosis is just one of the tools I, I use, but it works very powerfully for some people because it's an inside-out approach. It's it works with the the, you know, you said what is the limbic system? The limbic system is the subconscious brain. It's okay. the elephant, it's the big powerful brain that we're not consciously aware of that's actually responsible for up to 99% of our daily habits and and you know behaviors. Wow. But we don't think about them. Of course. So it's pretty clear everything I do, whether it's working with personal development, leaders or teams, we start with the limbic system because that's the part of the brain we need to appeal to, to access and to work on, to literally reprogram the neuronal pathways of beliefs and habits mm. so that we create something lasting and beneficial. And yeah. hypnosis works more directly with the limbic system and it mm. tries to cut out the interfering rational brain the rider as i call it that wants to say well you can't do that and you're not good enough and it just chats all the time and tries to sabotage yeah it's not the part of the brain we need to work with we need to work with those deeper subconscious beliefs um and that's why hypnosis can be very effective yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I know the limbic performance system, Steve, you've developed that from, I think, over 20 years of experience in terms of all of your training. You've mentioned NLP. You've mentioned, um, for example, um, cognitive behavioral te- therapy. So am I right in understanding that the approach that you take, and I think it's predominantly with companies and leadership teams, am I right in terms of that's where you tend to focus your work? Or is it, you know, directly with one one as well it's a little bit of both so the majority of our clients have been multinational senior management teams uh leadership development Mm. but by accident we got the limbic performance system into the lithuanian education system as well so now every school in the country teaches it every teacher undergoes training on it And we've had an educational psychologist uh, develop it for children as well, appropriate to their age. Okay. Um, And we interviewed a whole bunch of children for that project. And I wrote a book called Leadership Through the Eyes of a Child, where we got the wisdom of five, six, seven, eight-year-olds and took that wisdom in the field of emotional and social intelligence, which is pretty natural for children. And we shared their wisdom with business leaders to teach them how to lead their organizations in a more effective way. Um, (laughs) So we've done it there. We've also worked with NGOs, Save the Children. Um, So even though my target audience has been the multinationals and the corporations, we're talking about basic universal human stuff. So it can be pretty much applied in any area. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. And I mentioned your YouTube video, Steve, um, earlier, and there was a couple I was just looking at today as we were, you know, preparing to, to meet. And there was one that really resonated and it was all around, first of all, the similarities, but then most importantly, the distinction and difference between fear versus faith. So two very different ways of living and experiencing life. And I wanted to ask you to explain that for listeners. And then I suppose help me understand as well. Do you think it's possible just to live from one or the other? And hopefully the good one. (laughs) So would you explain this idea? (laughs) I think to live entirely with faith over fear is probably very, very difficult, you know, and I'd be lying if I I said I did that myself. However, 
What they have in common is they are both predictions of the future that hasn't happened yet. They are both yeah. presuppositions, uh, ideas about the future that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. The fear-based approach, which will, of course, be triggered by negative thoughts, negative emotions, and will take us on a downward energy spiral, are worries and concerns and assuming the worst about the future. This is not the same about being realistic and planning for the future. This is mm. things that we can't yet actually manage or control. It's out of our control. So, yeah. you know, right now it might be, well, what if I get COVID? What if I get ill? What if my family gets it? What if this happens? What if I lose my job? And yeah. we've done yeah. everything we can to take sensible precautions. So there's nothing more we can do. Yeah. So that will just take us on a downward energetic spiral. And this thinking, feeling, doing triangle I described at the start is just energy. Thoughts are electrical energy. Feelings are emotion, are chemical changes in the body and, and actions are kinetic energy. So we'll take ourselves on a beautiful downward spiral and fear breeds fear. You know, it's kind of contagious as well. Sure. Maybe we've seen a little example of that in the last two years going around the globe where totally fear has spread faster than anything, you know, physical. Totally. Um, yeah. Faith. And th th this is, for me has got absolutely no religious connotations. Faith is a belief that things can be good or will be good in the future. And again, this is not living in la-la land and going, errors is going to be amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a gentle kind of realistic optimism about seeing the opportunities in the as yet unknown future mm. and focusing on those. And actually, these are fundamental because if you're taking a fear-based approach to life, to personal development, to motherhood, to fatherhood, to leadership, whatever roles you have in life. You're taking a philosophy, I'm playing this game not to lose. Mm. And, you know, one of my uh, trainee coaches is a former um, coach of the Danish national handball team, very, very well-known uh, guy. And I had a call with him this week and he said, the worst thing you can ever do for a team is if they're going into a game, focus on we're not going to lose this because that's a fear-based approach and you're already pre-preparing the mind and the thoughts and the emotions and ultimately the actions to yeah. lose. And yeah. you will. Yeah. The other approach, which is faith-based, or we can take it even one step further, it can be love-based because the only emotion known to humans that's more powerful than fear is love. Yeah. It, it knocks it out. These yeah. are the two most powerful emotions. And if we take a more love faith based approach, then we're playing this game of life, leadership, motherhood, fatherhood, whatever it might be to win. Mm. So we are and literally that makes physiological changes in the body. You know, if you focus on the opportunities and you're coming from a place of love or gratitude and kindness yeah. rather than fear, scarcity or loss. Yeah. We're literally thinking differently and it changes our sensory experience of the world. If you think about it, what happens when any animal is in a state of fear? 
they constrict, they try to protect themselves. Yeah. What happens to the poor rabbit when the car headlights are coming towards it? It freezes and it doesn't do anything. And yeah. uh, we all know the, the negative outcome there. What happens? So we become more selfish, we become more restricted, and we try to minimize our world when we're in a state of fear. Yeah. And physically, we, we see less. So we're kind of going through life with a tunnel vision. If we're in a place of love, faith, abundance, gratitude, kindness, and all of these emotions are much higher vibration and connected, literally our senses see more and hear more. And we notice that around every corner, there is opportunity. Around every, every place we visit, there are five new ideas. Our creativity flows. When was anyone ever really creative and got new ideas when they were in a place of anxiety or fear? It doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah. When you're in a place of calm, love, connection, safety, gratitude, you're, you're walking on a beautiful beach, you've got that hilltop walk and you're feeling calm and nature is all around you, that's when the ideas flow. Yeah. That's when you think, my God, I should write a book on that. I should do that. I Oh, I, I never thought, God, that's a different way of seeing it. Now I really understand why my friend was so upset. Yeah. I have to I have to talk with her or that's when that happens. Totally. So they're both unknown. They both haven't happened yet. They're both in the future. Yeah. You're but they absolutely. have a power, powerful impact on the now. Yeah. They have a powerful, absolutely. So awareness for sure. That's the first step. Um, and excitement, inspiration. And I love the word you used actually um, immediately there, Steve, you know, playing life, you know, as distinct from, you know, what I think certainly for me, I have spent an awful lot of time in either in crisis or in survival or in fear, you know, literally, as you said, probably physically protecting myself if I was in a situation where I was concerned and sometimes with rational reasons, you know, I have lost my job. We've all, as you've said so many times, we've all experienced those things. And my reaction has always been default. Oh, good Lord, what do I do now? You know, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I can think back to time, Steve, where, you know, that's gone on that mindset. You know, I've continued it for years because, yes. you know, I was so perhaps traumatized by a particular experience that I just decided to live small. But I think this idea that you're articulating is the inspiration, the joy, the playing of life. I think that's the energy and the undercurrent that we can tap into if we just let all of the fears go. Once we acknowledge the fear, once we are grateful for it, because essentially it's a beautiful thing that makes us human that's trying to protect us. Yeah then it kind of loses its power over us and direction that we'll go in. And, and, and let's just be clear here, Paula, you know, some fear is a good thing. You know, you step into the road and the car's coming quickly. You sure. need a shot of fear. You need a shot of adrenaline and you need to just act. Totally. So I'm not talking about, you know, necessary fear. I'm talking about the fear and worry and anxiety that builds in us in the unpredicted, out of our control future that so many of us, yeah. you know, generate on a daily basis. So that's the kind of fear I'm talking about. Absolutely. Some fear is a good thing. We need it. 
It know, totally. So. Yes, no, there is absolutely. There's <laughs> rational fear, but I think mm. what we're talking about is the irrational and wondering about things that, as you said, absolutely, totally unknown can go either way and we're assuming the worst. So that's... Assuming the worst. <laughs> and there's a beautiful little story on this. I told it on one of, of my, my uh, YouTube videos, but, you know, there's the, there's the farmer who... A, a wild stallion comes into his farm one night and finds itself caught within his fence. And he decides that this wild stallion is such a beautiful horse that he's going to start breeding horses. What you know, okay. so uh, he, he creates a little horse farm and um the locals come and say, my God, that, you know, that was such, such a lucky thing. That was such a good thing. And the farmer replies, good thing, bad thing, who knows? Mm -hmm. And then the following day, uh, the wild stallion escapes and the farmer's son is chasing the stallion to try to catch it. And he falls and breaks his leg. And all the locals come and say, my God, your poor son, such a horrible thing, such a bad thing to happen. And the farmer says, Good thing, bad thing, who knows? Yeah. The following day, war breaks out in civil war in the farmer's country. And the son uh, receives, you know, a conscription order to join the army. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and But he's, he's got a broken leg, so he yeah. can't. So he has to stay in the safety of the home. And yeah. the locals come and say, well, God, you, you were so lucky there. Mike. You could have lost your son. And so many young people are already dying. And farmer says, good thing, bad thing, who knows? And I think if, if we can go through life with that without massively label everything as good or bad and just being curious around it and staying present with it mm. we're more likely to experience the richness of life and also see the opportunities in apparent bad situations yeah uh, it's a powerful That's story it's a powerful story and it's and it's very wise. Um, and I was going to ask you, you know, what would you want listeners to take away from our conversation? And I think that's a very good um, starting point, for example, is, you know, less of the labeling, less of the judging, more gratitude, more accepting, um, more playing, dare I say, uh, with mm -hmm. the energy of what's possible. And you know, really, I suppose, looking at how they can live in a way that does create something that gives them that, you know, inside out experience that you mentioned earlier, where they can show up in the world and really maybe be more fulfilled as a result. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the key thing there is all emotions and, you know, patterns we've got currently of thoughts and actions are fine. It doesn't mean we don't want to change them okay. and it doesn't mean we don't want to grow and develop. Yeah. But like I said earlier, we have to start from that starting point of awareness and acceptance of there is a good reason for why we feel nervous and we wish we didn't or why we don't feel competent at that or why we feel inadequate in relationships or in work situations or whatever area we show up in in life. Yeah. There's a good reason for it. It's previous experiences yeah uh, we're only ever going to change that from starting with awareness and acceptance yeah not Absolutely. judging ourselves and like i said like that curious child you know the child doesn't necessarily judge the child just says 
I wonder why I'm feeling like that. I wonder why the sky is blue. I wonder why the spring flowers come out <laughs> at this time of year. I'm not going to judge it. I'm just curious about it. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're totally right. Okay, well, I'm going to take that as, as a definite action, Steve, um, coming out of this conversation. And the other piece you've just reminded me, actually, and it's going back to my own um, experience with your work. And I did start doing the guided hypnosis again, I think maybe about a year ago. And it was very interesting because I wasn't doing it for a specific reason, but I do feel it's something I, I need to keep um, boosting from time to time. And I think I had at the time probably um, a resistance to exercise, (laughs) I'm going to say, which I know sounds super random, but I was doing your, your guided hypnosis. And about a month later, I noticed that when I did go to the gym, instead of going because, you know, I didn't like my body and I was trying to, you know, change it, I was going because I loved my body and my body loved to actually have the benefits of the exercise. And again, I attribute that to your um, your hypnosis session because I was just like, that's not a rational change. Like I didn't figure that out in my conscious brain. I definitely feel like my self-esteem suddenly went, no, you deserve to be fit and strong and healthy. So I just, I, I just remember that was another really good experience I had with your work. What you've picked up on there, Paula, is a very well-researched psychological phenomenon when it comes to goal setting. So there are two main types of goals. There are give up goals or move away from goals, and there are go up or gain goals. Okay. The first one, again, is often based on negativity and it fails. It fails for individuals long-term. It fails for companies long-term. It's often set on a a desire to move away from something. It's like, mm. I don't like the way I look. I need to change it. Yeah. There's a beautiful book out there called Change or Die that demonstrates this point. It's written okay. uh, by a doctor, Change or Die. Okay. And it was, I mean, it doesn't get more extreme than this. It was based on heart patients who'd had heart surgery. And then the doctors told them, If you don't change your lifestyle, if you don't change your exercise routine, your diet, you're going to die. You know, this won't last. And and for some reason, 90% of the people that were told that failed to change long term. They had kind of the honeymoon effect, but they went back to their old habits. So this begs the question, what about the 10% who succeeded? Yeah. So the difference is the doctors that spoke to them. Mm. didn't go down the move away from pain, you Mm. know, uh, fear route. They didn't say, if you don't change, you're going to die. They said things like, "Um, would you like to run on the beach in 10 years time with your grandchildren? Mm. Do you see yourself still having a romantic holiday 15 years from now with your wife or with your husband? Yeah. Would you like to play football again or would you like to be involved in you know the cross-country walking that you love to do again yeah so they're setting pleasure towards love-based abundance-based goals and you you nailed it there because you said I used to want to move away from that body instead I started to love my body yeah and then I was grateful for the fact that I could feed my body or give my body some things that are good for it because I love that body 
Yeah. That is yeah. a beautiful psychological phenomenon there. So don't set yourself, move away from, give up, you know, dislike goals. Set yourself. What do I gain from that? Don't don't give up smoking because you're 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 worried about dying of lung cancer or heart disease. Mm. give up smoking because well you don't even need to focus on smoking picture mm. yourself running up a hill and having healthy lungs yeah. and embracing that and something you haven't been able to do for 10 years and that's your goal forget yeah. and there were many ways you can get to that goal one of yeah. them might be that you cut down or give up smoking um, yeah yeah it's re- it's well established and it works basically so be very careful in the kind of goals and the focus that we're setting ourselves yeah. And again, why do over 90% of New Year's resolutions fail? Because they start from the point of, God, I've indulged too much. I don't like <laughs> myself in the mirror or I'm too lazy or I'm too slovenly or there's yeah. too many layers of fat there or I'm, I'm, I'm not proud of myself. They are doomed to fail. Yeah. As opposed to, I would love to feel 20% more energy because that would give me more focus and I could do more of this and I could engage in my physical activities more and I'd have more energy for my family when I come home from work. I'd love that. Can I visualize that? Can I feel that now? That's yeah. what I want. Yeah. And the rest will follow. Totally. Totally. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. And clearly I didn't know, you know, the, the, the transformation that was going to happen at the time, um, but it has stuck. So you're absolutely right. It's the first time in my life that I'm still going to the gym, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and I still, you know, sometimes get frustrated or, you know, sometimes a little bit lazy, but it has stuck for the first time in my life. So, um, so wonderful work. So again, thank you for, um, for your insights and your knowledge on that. Um, I suppose that the final part I wanted to just um, close with, Steve, from my side is, you know, we've called this show Yay Can Do. And I think it really fits with, you know, everything you talk about. So possibility. So, you know, instead of limiting beliefs, perhaps there are new possibilities in life. We talk about beliefs, you know, and the importance of positive, powerful subconscious beliefs. And we talk about do, which is the whole idea about taking action. Yes. So I think there's a lot of principles in there that we're very aligned with the work that you do. Um, obviously, as a result of that, we'll be making sure to link to your profile in the show notes. Um, and I know you very kindly said that that wonderful 30 minute meditation that you gifted to me uh, three years ago that did change my life is something we can share with all of our listeners if they request it from us. Indeed, they are more than welcome to give that a try. And, you know, for anyone that's a little bit afraid of guided relaxations or hypnosis, uh, it's just we, we're in a natural state of hypnosis every day. If we're daydreaming, if we, we switch off a little bit, it's a natural brain state. So, and that. the evidence has shown that we're in, in that slightly deeper state of relaxation. Mm-hmm. We are in an optimal state for reprogramming and absorbing new ideas into our subconscious. And yeah. all yeah. I do in any of my hypnosis sessions is I give open-ended suggestions for the, the person's own brain to interpret in the way that's right for them. So it's, okay. yeah. it's never too leading. It's just gentle suggestions that will open pathways in the brain mm-hmm. that would lead more to opportunity, growth, or you know things that the person would desire. 
Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and, and you said something really important there, that it is all about beliefs. Our beliefs are our filter of the world. You believe the world is a, is a scarce place, a place where there's no opportunity, a place to be afraid of, then it will literally impact on the way you see, hear, and sense the world to notice things that support that belief. You'll find the evidence for that. But beliefs are not facts. They are patterns of neurons in the subconscious brain. So we have a different experience. We develop a different belief. Then we literally start to see the world differently. Yeah. And the world opens up when we challenge and change our beliefs. And if anyone's listening there thinking, what are my beliefs? An easy way to get access to them is write a list of three or four of your good habits mm. and write a list of three or four of your bad habits, okay. habits that you'd like to change. Okay. Underneath those habits, if they've been habitual for some period, there will be at least one belief that's, you know, uh, mm. serving that habit or feeding it. It comes from a deeper belief. Mm-hmm. So the good ones will have beliefs associated to them. So will the bad ones. Yeah. And as we start to inquire about this process, and that's one of the things I do in depth when I'm working coaching with someone, yeah. we start to be really clear on what the core beliefs are. And once we know what that is, yeah. we can work on creating the new, healthier, more abundant belief that would serve you better. Absolutely. And when that changes at a reprogramming level in the subconscious brain, yeah. You literally start to see, hear, experience the world differently. Mm. And it, then it, and because it's reprogrammed, it becomes automatic. It becomes, yeah. that's, it's like Joe Dispenza said, it's about breaking the habit of being yourself. Oh, yeah. And yeah. once you've reprogrammed at the belief level, yeah. you automatically interact in the world differently without needing to think about it. It's exactly. a different world. It totally is. It totally is, Steve. And and I will pick up on the fact you mentioned earlier, hypnosis worked for me and at different times, other tools, you know, that you teach uh, definitely will work in different ways. So I think as well as sharing that one particular, um, as we said, gift of that one hypnosis, I want to make sure everybody knows where to find you um, because they may want to connect with you, ask your advice, perhaps find other tools and techniques because I think hypnosis perhaps worked for me because I love words, I love language, and I love the opportunity and taking the time to relax. But other people talk about vision boards and I don't feel very visual. So I know there's lots of different ways and everybody needs to find their own. So where is the best place, Steve, for people to find you if they want to um, to connect with you? So I've got literally a plethora of online tools, videos, guided hypnosis sessions available to people. If they connect with limbicperformancesystem.com, that's L-I-M-B-I-C, performancesystem.com, quite a mouthful. Or you can also email to uh, my response line, which is discovery at Mm limbicperformancesystem.com. Somebody will definitely come back. Um, and then we can point you in any direction. And I, But I would like to reinforce what you said, Paula. It's so true. The system that I've created is literally a holistic kind of organically grown system of all the kind of stuff I've learned so far. So there's, yeah. there's cognitive behavioral, there's humanistic approach, there's uh, NLP in there, there's hypnosis, there's meditation techniques. You know, my background is a psychologist, I'm a coach, there's coaching techniques, there's therapy in there, I'm a psychodynamic therapist as well. 
I kind of threw it all in because there is no one size fits all. Yeah. We're all individuals. And like you said, vision boards don't work that well for you, but hypnosis did. It may be the complete opposite for someone listening to totally. this. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. The important thing is you've got to try it. Yes. Don't catch yourself as the, the development junkie that becomes <laughs> addicted to development programs, but doesn't take responsibility for trying it out and at least having the experience. Yeah. Jump in, jump on the bridge of courage, overcome your fears. The worst that can happen is it doesn't work from for you, but yeah. something else will. And yeah. there's still valuable learning in that. Totally. That's right. That's brilliant, brilliant advice, Steve. So if anybody does want to request the particular hypnosis that I have loved and used so powerfully, then obviously you can just drop me an email and that's paula at yaycando.com. Of course, I can connect you to Steve as well at any time. And the show notes, as we said, will link to all of Steve's uh, YouTube channel, his uh, brand new website um, and anything you could possibly need. So I will just say um, that's it from my side, Steve. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we wrap? up just one thing came to mind as well um the youtube channel that i have is fed by i i record a short video three to five minutes every monday morning it's called my monday motivation which is completely free yeah uh it's been running for four or five years now so if anybody wants to receive that into their inbox free of charge every monday also discovery at limbicperformancesystem.com and you're more than welcome to receive those That's amazing. Okay. Well, with that said, I will say Steve Neal, creator of the Limit Performance System for Outstanding Leadership. Thank you so much from Ye Can Do. Thank you.